Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury, and my guest this week is Nate Stuckey, or Nathan Stuckey. Uh, Nate is a dear old friend of mine. We were in graduate school together, and he is uh, someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time, uh, but this is his first time on. He is the director of the Farminary at Princeton Theological Seminary. He grew up on a farm and as a farmer, but is also a minister, and he really had this vision for theological education where students are preparing for ministry also spend time not just in the libraries and on their computers and in classrooms, but on a farm, uh, digging in the dirt. And it turned out that uh, <laughs> the seminary he was uh, doing graduate work at actually owned a farm already. They had been renting it out and, and said, hey, let's, let's, let's give a shot at your vision. So that's what he does there, does a lot of other cool things. He has a PhD in uh, practical theology and has some uh, works out on the Sabbath that are uh, really powerful. So take a look at his, uh, his book on the Sabbath. You can find it on Amazon quite easily by just searching Nathan Stuckey. Our text this week is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so that they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show and receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Nathan. All right, so we're looking at First uh, John, chapter four, verses seven through twenty-one. First John four seven through twenty-one. Nate, would you be willing to read the passage for us? Of course. First John four seven to twenty-one. I will be reading from the NRSV for what it's worth. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. 
Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, your word of life made flesh in Jesus, the Messiah, and our Lord, and for the way his own words of life were handed on through his own apostles, through his witnesses, uh, including uh, the witness of this uh, strange little uh, letter that we call First John. And we ask, Lord, that we would be equipped by your Holy Spirit, just as it says here that the Spirit is the one who uh, makes known and confirms that we are loved of God and, and members of God's family. We ask that that same spirit that is in us would be at work uh, upon us and between us in our conversation, that Nate and I would both be equipped and empowered to explore the word of God and what it is that you, God, are saying and speaking to us today. And ask this not just for us, but for all those listening in, separated as we are by space and time, that your Holy Spirit would be at work as they listen, that they too would be drawn in to the hearing and seeing of God's word and would be equipped to bear that word uh, for others, whatever the shape and size of their flock. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we usually first segment, uh, just kind of zoom in at the text that's in front of us and just make some observations. We try not to jump the gun to, you know, complicated interpretive matters or, or preaching ideas. We'll get to that as we unfold. But just first glance, what are some, uh, what are some observations, some things that strike your attention as we look at this text? Well, one of the first things uh, that came out this time through is that particularly in the maybe last two thirds of the passage, the notion of perfection comes, you know, kind of in and out. And this notion, it's already there in verse 12, that if we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us, which is an interesting thing to ponder. But then it keeps, it keeps coming up about whether love has been perfected in us, the question of the relationship between fear and perfection and love. So there's a, a little, a little tiny morsel that that stood out this time through. Yeah, we can camp on that for a moment if you want. Yeah, so starting with seven, I think you're right. The first appearance of the word perfection is in 12. Yeah, it's right at the end. His love and his love in us is perfected. And then I think, tell me if I'm missing one. The next one I see, well, is 14 have one? Uh, no, that's maybe that's, 17 is the next. Yeah, 17. Yep, yep, yep. There it is. Teteliotai, right? The love 
in this, the love with one another has been perfected or is perfected. Yeah, cool. And then 18, the famous perfect love, same root word, but now an adjective. Perfect love casts out fear. And then that's kind of repeated in a different way. Uh, this is how we know that love has been perfected that because fear is not in love. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's a, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird word. I noticed you pointed out the, the oddity in verse 12 of, of God's love being perfected. That seemed a little strange. You said it, it does. Although I think you just, you dropped the Greek in there. I did. I slipped it in. I was sneaky. Yeah. Well, so you should, at least, I mean, I, I think I am not a Greek scholar. I think I know the roots there, but can you unpack it for, for a half second? Yeah. So the very first time it appears, it's to tell mene. So I think back to Greek class, uh, my teacher, he had these little jokes to help us. Men are, men are passive, he'd say. Men are passive. So men is a passive participle and it's a perfect because it's got that double tete on the front. So the root word is just teleo. So sometimes in English, I mean, our listeners have maybe heard the phrase telos has kind of mm-hmm. made its way into at least academic discourse. It's not an everyday term. And it, so it can mean end or, yeah. but end in the, not in the sense of done, but more in the sense of completion. Yeah. Um, I believe I, I actually, I was in the dictionary just this week on, on this one. Cause I was like, well, how, how is Webster putting this together? And it says ultimate aim. Ultimate nice. End. So like it gives that sort of like up at, at the horizon when it's sort of, I mean, I remember in New Testament, this, this notion of like, come to fruition or something like nice. that. Nice. Yes. Come to fruition is nice. That's good. So to go back to 12, right? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. Like it, it comes to fruition. It comes to its end, end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, its, its purpose, aim. its goal, yeah. but it always has a kind of uh, telic language, la- words of telos imply uh not merely last in a series but the the fulfillment of a purpose or the it's in in john's gospel he will use both perfected and he'll use root words of telos and the root word of playros the fulfilled Mm. he'll talk about the scriptures being fulfilled and then sometimes we'll say scriptures being completed so those those words are quasi interchangeable they're not identical because it's more purposive rather than kind of filling up. The imagery is a little different. It's more yeah, about like, yeah. like an arrow hitting its target versus the imagery of fulfillment is more the image of, you know, a, a cup is partial and then it's filled and overflowing. But uh, it's really important. I mean, st- speaking of John's gospel, I mean, this is the famous, it is finished mm. is tetelestai. It's, it's, mm. it has been completed. And yeah. that, that, that verb is used three times in like three sentences right there, right before it. Yeah. It says yeah. Jesus, knowing that all things had been completed. Yeah. Yeah. He, There's- he asked for a drink in order to complete the scriptures, which usually gets translated fulfilled, but it's actually complete the scriptures. And then he declares completed. Yeah. Accomplished. Which, which is yeah. such a powerful image it, in, if you go to, you know, uh, crucifixion, this sense that for it to be sort of finished, but in that moment, if you, if you look at sort of the gospel in its wholeness, it, it's both completion and beginning. Like, yes, right. Like that's yes. like, it's this, I don't know. Cause, cause well, like, the cause perfection, the, the, the word could be used in ancient times and to like, 
if you were like, say, making a boat, when you finish making the boat, you would declare it completed. Yeah, yeah. Right. But then you would put the boat in the water and right. So like like completed doesn't mean done and put on a shelf. It doesn't have to mean that. It could, but it's not you know, they don't they don't do, you know, they don't do they didn't have the arts crafts distinction, right? All art had then a function after it was completed. So And, and one could say that the boat is not perfected until it is put in the water. The it's task, in the sense of John four. First John. The task of the boat maker has come to its completion mm-hmm. when the boat is done. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, the boat, it's tell us is to be in the water, right? So yeah. the boat isn't completed, but the making of the boat is completed. Right. Yeah. And so like you say that Christ's death, and this isn't just a random, I mean, let me clarify. I love what we're doing here because these, sometimes these technical terms have a lot of weight but we're not just randomly jumping to John 19 where that's used because it's explicitly referenced here, right? This is how we know the love of God is made manifest to us in verse nine that, you know, his only son, that God sent his only son into the world that it might be saved through him in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son Okay, all that's just the sending of the sun, mm-hmm. but then as a halasmon, a sacrifice or atonement for our sins. And was there a reference to his death back in, uh, that must be earlier. This is how we know love is that he laid down his life for us. Is that, uh, where is that? It's somewhere, it's somewhere in the book. Uh, <laughs> I just don't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. So, I mean, he's making, I mean, the connection is explicit to not just his sending, but the, again, the purpose of his sending, his sending comes to its perfection. It's completed in his death. But yeah, like you say, per- perfection then always admits of, of then another, you know, if what is being perfected is a new beginning, then for it to be perfected is for it to then bear fruit. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean that that's somehow making up what is lacking right uh, in the death of Christ but rather that's the next event that's the the further completion in us right it's complete in him but not yet yeah. complete in us maybe would be one way to put it but you're right it is a little bizarre to say that god's love is perfected but like i think i think you exegeted it well when you said it's how did you put it it is uh, fulfilled you know accomplished the ultimate aim or something like yeah, that yeah the ultimate end ultimate aim um and god's ultimate aim is not merely to display his love in the death of Christ, but that that would actually then spill over into our love for one another. That's the further aim. That's the aim for which Christ is the means. Yeah. Mediator. Yeah. I mean, you, you know that I, I spend a good, good bit of my life out hands in the soil, uh, trying to get things to grow and bear fruit. And yeah, it, I mean, I, we're probably ahead of ourselves now, but there, it no, does, do it. there's this image of love as the fruit of God's mission that might be adding some words to the text, but I don't think it's too far off. And then like you get into the later verses there about sort of what kind of fruit love is and how it relates to fear or not, or how it rela- relates to that perfection. Anyway, so I, I, I'm having sort of imagery of, of love as this fruit and, and it can be known the true fruit by virtue of casting out fear by virtue of, you know, the example that is given to us uh, in Christ, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, no, that's really good. That's, I think that'd be a good jumping off point after a break. So let's take a quick break and, and explore that some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Nate Stuckey. Stuckey rhymes with cookie. That's what your wife told me years ago. Nailed it. <laughs> so that I can actually say it right. Yeah. And we're looking at 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I'll go ahead and read the passage again. It's sometimes nice to kind of have it fresh uh, for our listeners again, especially if you're, I don't know about you when you're on a listening to podcasts and you're driving or taking a walk or doing dishes, like you can kind of lose the plot. So I thought I'd, so this is a, this is a, from Raymond Brown's translation. I've been using his monster first John commentary as we're going through first John this Easter. Nice. And this is a, a sort of dynamic translation that captures some of his takes. So I'll read this and then we'll uh, keep exploring. Beloved, let us love one another since love is from God. Everyone who loves has been begotten by God and knows God. One who does not love has known nothing of God, for God is love. This is how God's love was revealed in and among us, that God has sent his only son into the world so that we may have life through him. In this then does love consist, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we in turn ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, yet if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has reached perfection in us. This is how we can know that we abide in him and that he abides in us in that he has given us of his own Spirit. As for us, we have seen and can testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whenever anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, then God abides in him and he abides in God. As for us, we have come to know and believe the love that God has in us. God is love, and the person who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. In this has love reached perfection with us with the result that we may have confidence on judgment day, because already in this world, we are just the same as Christ is. Love has no room for fear. Rather, perfect love drives out fear, for fear carries with it punishment. Love has not reached perfection in one who is still afraid. As for us, we love because he loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, while continuing to hate his brother, he is a liar. For the person who has no love for his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love the God he has never seen. And the commandment we have from him is this, the person who loves God must love his brother as well. Everyone who believes that Jesus is, oops, I kept going, stop right there. (laughs) That's good too, though. I'm going to say it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been begotten by God. All right. So I know that was long. It's, it's kind of hard to, the whole chapter like sings and unfolds, but you know, of course there's really like at least probably three little subsections here. And we kind of focused, I think kind of mostly on the middle and this language of perfection linking to the beginning and his death. 
And you mentioned something, and we can stay as long or as short on that as you like, but you said as a, as a man who spends his time in the dirt thinking about seed, there is language of seed, by the way, in, in earlier in chapter three. Mm-hmm. So that seed language is not completely absent, although it's little, it's more associated in the sense of father and son and being begotten. But I, but I can see what you're, you're playing with there. There's some kind of, uh, for me, it seemed connected. You mentioned something about not being able to see it, but then we can see it, right? There's a hiddenness and then a kind of maturation and perfection, as it were, to use that term, yeah, that is linked with it kind of coming to being seeable and visible. And I wondered if that was linked, uh, That maybe I'm making a connection that wasn't on your mind there, but because there is this language of, you know, we can't see God, <laughs> you can't see the Holy Spirit. And yet as this seed that's planted in us, then it does bear fruit, as you say, and then that is visible, right? You, mm-hmm. How can you say you love God if you can't love your your brother or sister who are visible. Is that kind of where you're going or did I miss your whole point? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, I think I, I'm to carry it forward. I think the language, and again, I'm, I'm speaking as, as farmer, as much as pastor or teacher or anything else, but the language of begottenness, I, I suspect it holds some connections to the agricultural realm. I mean, this is how the herd survives. That's a generic term. It's gen- generation. G-E-N is hiding in the word for begotten. The word is, you know, you know, ganao, you know. So, yeah, no, totally, totally. And and and, and in the sort of begetting, whether we're talking like John 3.16 and the only begotten son or the future generations of tomatoes or sheep, Generations, the, there it is. The generation, <laughs> that's absolutely. Yeah, the, that's the, the Latin and, term. Yeah. And the generativity of yes. these things, there is this dynamic tension between hiddenness and revelation and the seed that is, is buried in the soil, which is like the kind of ultimate or penultimate image of fertility, but then it's it's hidden and then it emerges and the fruit is kind of hidden in that as well until it emerges. And so, I don't know. Again, I'm 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 obviously dis- displaying my context and bias and affections. But to think about like what it is, what is the fruit bearing capacity of the gospel? I think that First John wants to say, well, it's love. Hello, it's love. Love yeah. is the fruit bearing capacity. Uh, and uh, like it, 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 it's both the fruit and the seed or something like that. Uh, no, I th- there's that's a good. lot there, I think. No, it is important to see it on both sides because, well, because there's a, there's the same word as being used agape for God's love for us. And then our love for one another, this isn't really focusing on our love directed back towards God. It's not being rejected. It's more kind of like, well, I don't know. That's a mystery. to uh, That's, that's what's hidden is your love for God. What we can see is how you love the community that God is creating. That's what we can see. So, because mm-hmm. the only direct reference I think that's explicitly saying, you know, our love for God is in a negative, in order not to negate its existence, but to sort of downplay its relevance, right? So, verse 10 is not that we have loved God, but that he's loved us, right? So, like, it's right, right. not. And then later, if anyone boasts, I love God, verse 20. So whenever God is the object of love in this passage, it's as a sort of polemic saying that's actually not where things start. Um, Mm -hmm, So yeah, mm -hmm. God's love for us and then our love for one another is the motion. Mm 
So you're right. There's love on both sides. So God's seed, his, which is his word or his spirit, depending on how to interpret that from chapter three, although here it fits with spirit verse 13, right? He's given us of his own spirit. So if the seed that's been planted through the giving of the spirit through the flesh of Jesus is God's act of love, that's him planting the seed to use your imagery here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then that's all coming from his love. But then our love is the fruit of that seed, right? The the springing up and coming forth and being made visible. I like that, that movement from hiddenness to revelation back into hiddenness, that kind of motion is really cool. And I guess if we were to like, you know, you sort of introduce some imagery and let the imagery illuminate the text, and then you turn around and let the text illuminate the imagery, kind of mm. that back and forth, right? If I were to do that with you now, that what I'm sensing is like, for instance, verse 10, he's saying, okay, it sure looks like, I mean, it looks like when, you know, when, when a, you know, a little stalk of corn first, first pops out, it's just this little thing and it looks like it's doing it itself. And then you come the next day and it's bigger and bigger and right. And, and up to elephant's ear by the <laughs> 4th of July or whatever, you know, like these, it gets huge. And he's kind of reminding us like all of that's coming from a seed planted by God. It's, it's right. It's nothing of its own. And yet this is the whole point is to produce this great fruit, this fruit of love. Mm. I dig that, man. I, th- I think it seems, it seems right to me. It's interesting because, you know, there's this question of like, is there the return movement of love, our love for God? And you, you struggled to put on the brakes, but chapter five immediately goes there. And I know it's not in the No, text, it's okay. No, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, five, two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey God's commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey God's commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever, and what is whatever his command? He's already said it. Love one another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it keeps coming back, though, you know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, you're, sure. right. Well, you're right. You're but... right. And, and, like, there's just that sense of... um again, because I can't help it, that sort of ecological interconnectedness that like you can't ultimately tease these things apart. They're so tightly interwoven. You know, God's love for us, which then kind of compels, propels our love for neighbor, which then in itself is our act of love to God, you know, and then, you know, the whole fruit bearing chain or right as they turn. or whatever it, it continues. Because by that love, someone may in fact come to perceive and believe that God really is love. And so for, I mean, I know for me, it's the people that have loved me that have been the means by which I have come to and stayed in the faith that God has love for me. Do you know what I mean? It's been mediated through the love of others. That is just how it works. Yeah, yeah. That's where faith, that's where knowledge and and faith are linked to love, right? Verse 16, as for us, we have come to know and believe the love that God has in us. I really like the, we talk about love and knowledge or faith and the works of love as like two things that are, and how they relate and how are they in James versus John versus Paul, right? These are, this verse 16 is really interesting because it's like, what is the content of our faith? Well, it's believing the love that God has for us. We, when you believe that God loves, that's then the basis for our own love as our response. So I always like to remind myself from time to time when I'm having a hard time living 
according to love, <laughs> mm-hmm. to remember that the commandment to believe always comes first, right? Yeah. <laughs> repent yeah. and believe in the gospel. It's kind of like, okay, repent, metanoia, change my mind, remind myself, oh, right. What is it that I believe? Oh, it's that God loves me and that God loves these people I'm being asked to love. And I'm just caught up in that big project, right? Yeah. Um, and so I don't have to, and that's why maybe the fear comes right after that. Cause actually this could generate a little bit of fear. Like, have I been loving enough? Mm-hmm. Right. And he's like, well, that's and, not, and, that's not the I'm, point. We're not supposed to be afraid of judgment day of the harvest to use your analogy now. Right, right. Harvest is something we can look forward to and have confidence because we know that's, that's our purpose is to, you know, celebrate the love that we've lived and to celebrate the fruit that's been born in other people's lives we can look forward to judgment day to the harvest with, with hope and desire rather than fear. Right. It's not just fear, a generic fear. This is a very specific kind of fear of judgment day. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think even behind, at least for me, behind that fear of have I been loving enough is uh, a, a more primal fear for me. And that is, am I loved? Am I lovable? Bingo. And That's the ecology of it. Right. Yeah, One that always yeah. goes with the other. You, you don't actually, I actually don't, you know, when I'm tuned in to how much God loves me, I'm not asking the question, am I loving very well? And I actually love better because yeah. when we're, when we're examining whether we're being good at love, then we're not actually loving. We're trying to make other people like us by loving them. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whereas yeah. true, true service is just kind of given as a gift and not expecting anything in return. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh boy, it harkens to a, uh, Bonhoeffer's uh, interpretation of Genesis one to three and that like sort of before Genesis three, like it's, that's kind of back behind good and evil. It's like good and evil doesn't exist. It's just sort of the creation and God, which sounds like what you're saying about, you know, when we're focused on, am I loving enough or not? Then it's like, we're in that sort of, um, even if the answer is yes, it's bad news. You don't even is, want to and, ask and, the question. That's right. Yeah. And we're, we're just in like, uh, like analysis mode. Like, is it this or is it that? And all this kind of thing. And that the, like the sort of original, I don't know, the, the vision behind that is like, no, <laughs> just God's love, just God's love given to us. And that in that space, there is no fear and it's not frantic. So I, I have a, a, a can I take us to maybe a different, uh, or I, it, I think it's connected but another observation. Do it, do it. It's right, right at the top, verse seven. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows him. <laughs> oh, sorry, I gotta go. Let's take a break. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's good. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's just so generous. I yeah. mean, and then it like, it it, it comes at us in a, in a different way later. But I'm reminded of your comment about like, one of the ways God's love has been made manifest to you is by the people in your life who have loved you and have demonstrated this kind of love. You know, I think, I think it's a beautiful vision. And I, and I, and I, you know, from, from where I sit, I like the idea that those who love are maybe closer to God than they realize hmm. or that God is there somehow there, whether or not God is, is recognized or acknowledged or whatever. Anyway, it's just such a sweeping statement. Everyone who loves is born yeah. and knows God. So since since you raised a when, – when I made an observation, you mentioned something at the beginning of verse 5, uh, chapter 5. Yeah. I shall now do the same to you. Oh, good. 
Uh, so chapter five, verse one says exact same phrasing. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been begotten by God. It's identical grammar. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that not to downplay what you say, but to introduce the kind of dynamics of faith and love. That's really mm-hmm. a con- the sort of central hinge of the gospel. I mean, of, of the letter of John in a way, it's kind of yeah. everything kind of hinges on that relationship, you know, back to what we said earlier from verse 16, right. It, to, like you said, if I'm worrying about how my, how perfect my love is, that's usually because I actually, there's a disbelief or a misbelief in whether I am loved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which in other words means, actually, I can't solve it with more love. I need to solve it with faith, <laughs> believing the love that God has for me. That's then faith working by love to use Pauline language, right? Faith in, working in love comes out then by that returning to that starting point again and again every day. I mean, what, what, what is the point of daily practice of devotion and scripture reading and prayer? In some ways it's that it's reaffirming a faith <laughs> that God actually loves me so that I can then love others then out of that, yeah. out of that center. Yeah. Um, but then I like it because it sort of introduces this sort of tension because a good tension, a productive tension, I think, because if all we had was uh, chapter four, verse seven, it would reduce the gospel to an ethics, to an ethos, right? Mm-hmm. It would just say, if people are loving, that's what it means to be begotten of God, mm-hmm. right? But then on the other side, if all we had, which is true, but not at the same time, right? And then it's this generous statement that's more complex, but it's true. And then verse uh, chapter five, verse one, that kind of begins the final section. If all we had was that, you know, we would say, oh, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're begotten of God. All that matters is you believe. And then the life of love is this kind of optional addendum on the end, which the whole point of this passage is, no, it's not, right? Like, like that doesn't, it's not real. So clearly both are inadequate on their own, both of those statements. And yet neither should be taken, we shouldn't interpret either of them in a way that downplays the significance of what's being claimed. So I think we should expect to see works and acts of love among those who do not profess Christian faith and should therefore celebrate that as being begotten of God. No question. Mm -hmm. That's that Mm -hmm. generous stance that you're mentioning. Yeah. And on the flip side, we should have the same generosity that anyone who confesses Jesus as the Messiah, right? Believes in their heart, even if they're really dropping the ball with their own act of love, we want to encourage them to love (laughs) well but to use that as the starting point. So the emphasis is really on the love side of the equation because his, yeah. you know, it's pretty strongly saying, you know, your, your faith doesn't really mean anything. It's just talk. It's just a boast. If there's not a, that actual work of love, but you're right. That, that statement in, in verse seven is very stark, very generous. It's as stark as the crazy claim that God is love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of parallel in their starkness. Yeah. Right. That means anywhere there is love that is of God. So, I mean, I think he's, his focus in this passage is the the frustration with those who claim to have faith, but don't have love. And you're pointing out that the logic of the passage hints at the other direction as well, which is there may be those who don't have faith that actually do have love <laughs> and therefore 
we should not be surprised by that and should celebrate that and yeah. learn from it. And and they may know more about God than we give them credit for. That's right. That's right. There may be more faith, knowledge, confession there than that's right. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. I think that's spot on. There's a lot. There's there a is. lot in these few verses. That's um, a good that's a good way to transition us into our final segment. So let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Nate Stuckey. So glad to have you on the show. So good to reconnect from a distance. Yeah, it's so good to be with you in this text. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think I gave you a few choices and you you chose the juiciest. I mean, this is like, this might be one of the best chapters in the Bible, right? It's awesome. You know, I grew up uh, with a song to memorize verses seven and eight. Did you love it? Let you know it. Love, love one another. One another. Yeah. Wow, you shouldn't. It, on Zoom, it's going to be weird. We can't both sing. You sing it. I love it. Sing it. Uh, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. First John 4, 7 and 8. We got a little <laughs> clap in there. Uh, what was it? He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Ah, <laughs> oh, see, this is the difference yours, yours between... Is, yours is a lot more Mennonite, bro. Yeah, very, yeah, I was very gonna say, gentle, this is the... very slow. <laughs> and is... mine's this, the revivalist, pump you up, holiness yeah, no, uh, version. <laughs> we're we're at the campfire, winding down. Yeah, see, this is trumpets and, seven and eight. marching, the vibe. That's just the different cultures that we grew up in. Isn't that funny? So it was the same melody, yeah. but the vibe was very different. Well, there's the, the rhythm and timbre was very different. That's yeah, cool. There's, there's probably a sermon buried in that little. Uh, I love it right there too. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm glad we have that on record. Um, <laughs> so good, so funny. Yeah. So where would you want to go with this? Say you. I mean, sometimes uh, when I have a guest on the first time, I'll I'll do this little thought experiment. Uh, say you know we're having a quick chat in the hallway because or on the phone because you just called it. You just got called in last minute to preach the bulletins already printed. This is the text assigned for the week. You're filling in for a friend or someone who got sick and okay. You got, you got to pitch an idea. What, you know, you're preaching in like a day, like what's your, what's your main idea, right? So like what angle, what take would you maybe take on this? What would be your, your focus or your theme? And some of it's also letting us know your own, your own prepping style. Like when you're under the gun, Mm -hmm. how do you kind of, make that transition from exegesis to, to, to proclamation. So yeah. What, what, what's your angle? What's your take? How would you go yeah. about this as a sermon? Yeah. Well, I, you know, the, the place I go, which I, you know, how, how sermonically helpful this is, is an open question, but the place where I am pierced by this text is this question of, I know I once believed that God loves me and do I still? Yeah. And, and how much hinges on that. And so, I don't know if it's a sermonic word. Maybe it's a pastoral word for people who are lis- uh, listening. Um, but I think it's, it's, the rest is details yeah. if, if we don't remember that. And I wonder where we go to remember that. And I don't think it's accidental that we started with the songs of our youth. Uh, yeah. 
Probably not. I remember, you know, not everybody has good camp memories, so be it. But I remember being at at the campfire singing 1 John 4, 7, and 8. And um, I don't know what words I would have used as a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old, but reflecting back on it, you know, the images are comfort and safety and assurance and, and peace. I need to remember that. And, and perhaps those under our care also need to remember that. It's just this drumbeat, like John will not let up. God is love. We are loved. We know this in Christ. God is love. We are loved. We know this in Christ. Like just over and over and over again. And, and it's moving. It bears fruit. It comes to like reside in us and then spread out to our neighbors our brothers, our sisters, our siblings, and that, you know, that's, that's, and in that space, no fear. And in that space, I think this abiding knowledge that Mm -hmm. we are God's children, it takes lifetimes to remember this stuff. That's that's where I'd start, I think. That's moving, man. I think at the very least, for our listeners to take home that the entry point for applying a text to your life and for helping others to do the same through teaching and preaching is to ask what in this text pierces me. Mm-hmm. That was your phrase. That's what pierces me. And, and I could sense your inclination to kind of want to say, well, maybe this is pastoral, not preaching word or something, you know, these kinds of things, but your insight later that the rest is details. If I were to spend, you know, I don't know, uh, six, seven, eight hours studying and preparing and practicing a really clever sermon on this text versus, I don't know, maybe a third of the time dedicated to actually really asking the the questions that let it pierce me and experiencing the text myself. And another third of that time, just finding some ways to love other people and live the text. <laughs> so let the text pierce me, uh, allow, give my look for some opportunities to live it out. And then, you know, the hour or two left over might actually be better sermon prep, <laughs> even if it's not as clever or interesting. Cause I don't know, man, I have listened to, and again, of course, a lot of our listeners aren't preparing sermons. We've got a lot of lay listeners who've acquired over the time. So just kind of hearing, some say they get a kick out of hearing the behind the scenes process and others just find that there's a, a, a thought there that they can explore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but even those who are pastors who listen to it, a lot of them just for personal advocation and they're not using the lectionary. That's not common in my tradition. The lectionary mm-hmm. is not use it mm-hmm. as a jumping off point. So it's not my own idiosyncratic text selections. That's the only reason I use it as a jumping off point, but man, for to just be pierced and that, that links with the conceptual thing that was so powerful for me today, mm-hmm. which is the, the union of faith and love, right? right. The, 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 the union of it's verse 16 is the one that really, yeah. I've, 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 I didn't dawn on me until today. I don't think I ever really saw it mm-hmm. that, you know, I, we, I've heard of believing in Jesus, believing in his name, believing in God, believing God. But I don't know if I ever noticed that there's a there's this phrase in the Bible right here in John 4:16, 1 John 4:16. 4, 
to believe the love that God has for us, to think of God's love as the object of my faith. Yeah. Like it just completely closes the gap between head and heart as it were, or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. faith and works, all those things that we tend to, when we analyze them, get separated. Yeah. Yeah. But when we live them, they're just, they're all just one and the same thing. And like you said, it takes lifetimes, but then you asked the question, for, for sermonizing, I think it would be asking, and for anyone listening in, to just ask, like, what are the practices that aid us in believing the love that God has for us? You put it yeah. a little different. It yeah. was probably better, but I can't remember it now. I've been talking too much now. But, <laughs> you know, what are the practices? And, and you mentioned the, I think, remembering, right? Have, yeah. Taking the time to remember a time when I was loved. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. a really good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and another image that comes to mind when you're talking about, yeah, the uh, the faith and the love and the piercing and the imagery, uh, or you know, we've been messing around with seed and soil and and fruitfulness, generativity. You know, the image in my mind is that God's love is the seed and our faith is the soil, and of course, God's faithfulness gets wrapped up in there too. But then that you know, that that bears fruit. And, and as, as a, like that, that works. Yeah. As a potentially like sort of trajectory for thinking about practices that emerge from this, I wonder, like, even if we're on the, like the frightened edge of faith, unsure whether we really can buy that God loves us, what would we do as that experiment? What would we do? How would we live our lives if we did believe it? And then go do that thing, even on the even on the leading edge, right? So that like, if if he if it was true, what if it was true that God's love is what First John says it is? How would that change the way we relate to ourselves and our neighbors? Uh, go try that. <laughs> go try that. And uh, and then if we go back to the all encompassing verse seven of everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, it may inch us closer to faith after all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which means yeah, the practices that attune us to the love of God might not be distinctly Christian practices, right? They could mm-hmm. just be human practices of loving well, right? <laughs> That's Yeah, yeah. Well, and and if we want a, a really difficult practice in in this day and age, but I think we can get there real easily from these verses. If we believe, if we believe this love that God has for us, we will cease to fear our neighbors. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's heavy lifting. That's going to take some divine aid. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Oh, but it's, it's such an insight, Nate, because I mean, why do I fear my neighbors? Why do I... (laughs) Why do I resent the sojourner, the immigrant, mm. right? It's because mm. I don't feel like I'm being accepted and recognized in my legitimacy as, yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's out of that feeling threatened, right? Yeah. As long as my neighbor keeps their distance, it, you know, it doesn't really, I don't resent them. I might not love them, but I'm neutral, right? But it's when they sort of become a threat to me, you know, they're being celebrated, they're being um, empowered in some way. And I feel like it's a zero sum game. Now I'm getting screwed. Right. And so, wow, no, you're right. That's the, that's piercing to me. 
I don't actively hate my neighbors, but I often ignore them as being someone up in my head and in my books and not really sort of paying attention to those around me. Yeah. So, well, and, and, and so many, so many voices in, in our context insist there's so much to be afraid of. Yeah. And especially some of our neighbors, you know, those neighbors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, first John saying, not so fast, not so fast. That is not the love that has been revealed to us in Christ. But whew. Hmm. Well, as for us, we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us. Yeah. In this love has reached perfection with us that we may have confidence on judgment day. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, may it be so with us. Yeah. May it be so with you Yeah, in your day. And I appreciate it. With you. I know you got to go. So we'll say a quick goodbye. Well, I, I, I want oh, to get, get first on the last word. I know I, I, we both need do to it. Go. Do it. But we didn't spend any time dwelling on, we didn't abide in the abiding. <laughs> and that, and that second half of verse 16, right? Those who abide yes. in love abide in God and God abides in them. So there's a, there's like a settling. There's a, there's just a sort of a presence there. That, yeah, um, which helps with thinking of this love as first and foremost a matter of works and activity. It is, yeah. but that's not its first yeah. flavor. It's first, just like with the seed, its yeah. first job is to just stay put in the soil. It rests. Then it comes forth, yeah. right? So, so much yeah. good stuff. John gets the last word. Not this so John, the, the, uh, the author. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Abide. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. May it be so. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Nate. Absolutely. It was, we'll uh, see ya. It was a pleasure. Hey, tell the fam I said hi. I certainly will. See all ya. Right. See ya. Well, as always, we want to give a big thanks uh, to all our listeners out there. Uh, thanks for getting the word out about the show and subscribing to the show. And thanks also to our patron saints. Uh, who support the show financially. Couldn't imagine uh, continuing this work without you. I don't see a cent of that, but the production team behind the scenes uh, has really benefited from uh, your support. So thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a, a patron saint of the show Fresh Text, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. That's patreon.com slash fresh text. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work behind the scenes. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks so much, uh, all you out there uh, listening now and always. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks again to Nate. He, he's already logged off, but I, uh, I was really moved by our conversations today. And so I hope you were too. And yeah, just very thankful for that. So, and as always, we end by saying, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>